Thanks for joining us today. We'd love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So please take a minute and visit mbcocala.com stories to tell us your story. And if God has used this ministry to touch your life in any way, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. Help us to continue delivering God's word to the world. You can give online or through our mobile giving app. Today, we are hearing a message from our series entitled, Do Unto Others. This series delves into God's call for justice and peace and invites you to be His hands and feet in a hurting world. And we help me welcome our internet audience. God bless you guys. So glad you're with us. Peace to your house. You may be seated. You may be seated. We're glad you're here today. Hasn't it been wonderful already? Amen, amen. Well, we're going to continue on, on our series, Do Unto Others. I mentioned to you last week uh, to please be in prayer for my son, Joshua. He's our uh, middle of five kids, and he is, uh, we got a FaceTime with him yesterday. How many of you know what FaceTime is? Okay, about five of you. Um, um, we got a FaceTime with him from uh, Nairobi, uh, Kenya, and he's on a trip with blood water um, in uh, Africa, and so it was just awesome technology to do that, but he's, he, uh, if you'll recall, was, he spent uh, a number of weeks in China and then was home for just a little bit in the States and now is on about three weeks in Africa, a number of nations, and uh, he said, Dad, I haven't had normal sleep patterns in about six weeks, and he said, but I just feel the prayers, so he wanted to say thank you, and uh, uh, they'll be there another couple of weeks, so if you keep them in prayer, doing wonderful work helping people, and I think that's a good thing to do. Amen. All right, well, we're going to dive into our series this morning, uh, part two of this. I want to tell you, though, the goal of this is I'm not, you know, normally I drive toward application, giving you something to do. I'm going to let your heart and the Holy Spirit give you something to do out of this. I, I think the goal, and I feel it so strong, is just to get this landed into your heart today to get these truths from God's word. So let's go ahead and look at Matthew chapter 7, our main text here. And it says, therefore, whatever you do, and remember Jesus is saying this, whatever you do, uh, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. This is the essence. You add it all up. This is what you get out of the law and prophets is whatever you want people to do to you, you should do to them. Now, remember that this shows up in, in uh, about 21 other world religions, and it's in a negative form, though. It's like, don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. Jesus comes along and presents it in a new way, a positive way, and he says, do to others uh, what you would have them do to you. Now, a lot of times what we tend to do, though, is make it all about us, and this is not really an us verse. This is an others verse here that it's about others and in doing to others it's not just refraining from doing something well i won't do that to them because i don't want them to do that to me nor is it well i'm going to do good stuff to other people so they'll do good stuff to me that's a byproduct but that shouldn't be the major motivation mostly what this should be about is showing active uh goodness and mercy to other people you know like god does with us And in doing this, the English Standard Version says, therefore, whatever you wish, and it's probably a little more accurate from the Greek, so whatever you would prefer or wish, that invites our imagination into this. And so I think it's saying this to us, that when you see others, remember it's do unto others, when we see others, that you could imagine, if that were me, 
If I were in that situation, what would it be that I would wish somebody would do? You know, what if somebody spills something, drops something, trips or whatever? What if you were in that spot? Would you wish that everybody would laugh and make fun of you? No, you know. Uh, How about somebody to help them or encourage them or, you know. What if somebody's in need? Well, tough stuff for you. You should have made better decisions. No. What if you were in their spot? What would you wish... What would you prefer? What would you hope would be the way people would respond to you? And I think when we do that, we find the heart of God. Because then in that spot, what, you know, if I were them, what would, what would I hope? And if you'll do that, if you'll do that, I think you're, you're tapped in with God's heart. I think at that point you would show active goodness and mercy to them. Amen? Well, if I have a subtitle today, it would be this. What happened? What happened? Everybody say, what happened? Y'all, y'all ever feel that way? You just, well, what, what happened? What happened? There were some football games yesterday. It's like, what happened? You know? So anyway, um, y'all really pray for Pastor Tom. Okay, he's a major yes. Michigan fan. So you just, you just really pray for him. I need some of y'all to fast for him too, okay? Because he's, he's a big time fan. But the question of what happened. And uh, to put all this in context, let's go all the way back to the beginning as we know it. And that would be the garden, the Garden of Eden. And so in the Garden of Eden is all good. You know, everything God created, he said, it is good. The only other comment he had was uh, when he created uh, human beings. And he said, it is very good. And so it's all good in the Garden. It is paradise. And uh, every need was met. Isn't that awesome? Actually, that's not the truth. There were no needs. Now think about that. That's awesome. There were no needs. Enter the serpent, the deceiver. And he comes to tempt Eve. How do you tempt somebody who has everything? Well, you have to deceive them into thinking that they don't have everything. And so he tempted her that somehow God was holding out on her and on them. And she fell into discontent and then consequently sin. The result of sin then is the fall of man, and then all the fallout from that. So the problem then and now is sin, and sin ruins everything it touches. Well, there's a solution for sin, and that would be a Savior, a Savior. We go on down through history, and I'm not covering everything in history, obviously, but as we go on down through history, Jesus, uh, born of a virgin, comes into the into the world, and here's the entrance of our Savior into the world. That's what we're going to celebrate in about two months. Christmas is we're celebrating the entrance of our Savior in, into our world. Jesus enters, and his life, his death on a cross, his burial, his resurrection on the third day, all of that birthed something, if we can put it that way, called Christianity. And then Christianity, probably the vehicle for the growth and mobility of Christianity then would be the church. And so we look in the book of Acts and we see this, lack of better phrase, a new breed of people, these Christians now that are, that are in the earth, and they so impacted and changed their world, and they consequently impacted world history. And for the last 20 centuries, Jesus has been the dominant figure in Western culture for 20 centuries. 
And so uh, John Ortberg, let me read this uh, quote. He's a pastor. He said this. Follow the analogy here. He said, if it were possible with some sort of super magnet to pull up out of history every scrap of metal bearing at least a trace to Jesus, not much would be left. And so everything for like 20 centuries has been connected somehow. Jesus has been a major player, dominant figure in world history. And all of that happened really as an outgrowth, outbirth of what was going on with Christianity. And then go back to the beginning of that and that the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, that emboldened his disciples. Now think about it. Uh, Jesus rose from the dead just as he said he would, which further validates that his word is true. This is the other thing, though. Now the believers see that he is not just a man, but he's also God. And his word is true, and he's not just a man, he's also God. Listen to me. Now these disciples are unafraid. We just saw him conquer death, hell, and the grave. We watched him raise the dead. We watched him feed the multitudes and all the things that he has done. And so now they are just literally unafraid. Now, I, I don't believe that they just decided, you know, had a little group, had a little gathering and said, hey, guys, let's go change the world. You know, I don't think they, you know, started doing TED Talk series and, you know, this is how we're going to do it. I don't think that they had in their mind, it's my opinion, that they just said, guys, let's go change the world. But they changed the world. And I think what happened is the world around them began to change as a byproduct of the lives that they were living, the transformed lives that they were living, going about in the Spirit's power, and get this, and living out the heart of the kingdom of heaven, don't miss this part, just wherever they went. Amen. I, want to try, I want to try to say all that again. I don't think that they just had this master plan you know, let's go change the world. Now, Jesus told them, go into all the world. But I don't, I don't think they were catching all of that. This is what they did if you watch the, the book of Acts and you watch through history. What happened is the world around them just began to change as a byproduct of them living this life, living out the heart of the kingdom of heaven, the help of the Spirit of God, transformed lives. And where did they do that? Just wherever they went. Amen. You want to change your world? Do it the same way. Amen. It's just as you go, wherever you are, live out this life, live out this kingdom life with the help of the Spirit. And I think the world around us begins to change. Amen? Well, they begin to impact culture and society around them over time. Uh, the dominant cultures in that day were Greek and Roman, the Roman Empire. And they could really care less. They had little or no interest in the poor, in the sick, in the dying, anybody challenged in any way, uh, that culture really didn't care. But you've got this new breed of people, these Christians. They were also called the way. You've got them, and what are they doing? As they go about, they just see a need. And now with the love of... Are you all here? And now with the love of God in their life, and the life of God in their life, they see a need, no matter who... The people were, and they began to just help. They'd find people that were sick, and they would, 
help them. But you have to understand, for the first three centuries of Christianity, they were a persecuted people. So they, they couldn't really organize a whole lot of things, but they would just help wherever they went. And in 325 A.D., Constantine, am I boring you with history? Okay. In Constantine, I'm making up half of this. No, I'm really not. I'm not. not. Just making sure you're with me. 325 A.D., Constantine, who's the Roman emperor. You ready for this? He gets saved. Y'all missed that. Like the head dude in charge of everything got saved. All right? And it was... It was good on most accounts, and then over, over time, and it's not my major message today, but actually Christianity actually is more powerful and does better when there's some opposition and even persecution. That's a message for another day. All that to say, don't be afraid. Amen. So Constantine, he not only is converted to Christianity, now he legalizes Christianity and makes it the official, the major Uh, religion of of the empire. And so now Christians not only have approval, they have encouragement and they have resources. And so let me just in brief tell you what they did. Instead of just finding a sick person or a hurt person or an upset person along the way, you know what they did now? Let's organize. And they began to form these things called, and this is where it all came from, hospitals. It was Christians that started to organize and bring that together. And then uh, they would set up clinics in different places for lepers and for the mentally ill and people that were having all sorts of issues. They just began to gather and now organize, began to do these things. They began to find children because the culture of the day would just discard children. You know, if they weren't the right gender or something was wrong with them or we already got too many kids already or, or an unwanted pregnancy or whatever, they would discard children and just be left to die of exposure or be taken up into some kind of slavery or whatever. And they began to gather children. And, and guess what they came up with? These things called orphanages and adoption. Who did this? Who did this? These, are, these are Christians impacting and changing their culture. They're doing unto others as, as they're going. And... and Art and literature and science and, and education. That, where did universities come from? Where, where did, where did uh, Oxford and Harvard, the, those all started as schools of theology and, and, and universities and education rise. Wherever the gospel goes, literacy rises. And so all of this is going on. Then they begin to impact laws and economy and rules and social order and, and that everyone would be taken care of and everyone would be concerned. And no, they didn't get it all right. No, they weren't able to finish it all. But all of these things that they were impact, even in the arts, here's some believers that contributed to the art world. Da Vinci, Michelangelo, Rembrandt, Bach, Handel, Brahms, all of these people. And so throughout, we see powerful impact on all of culture. And now here we are 20 centuries later and we have institutions that people are mindless about where they got their origin. But universities and hospitals. Every cathedral had attached to it a hospice for those that were dying. I mean, we have all these things and laws that the the Judeo-Christian ethics and laws that have pervaded uh, social order and justice throughout the world and all of that happening. And then something happened. Everybody say, what happened? Let's go back to that idea again. What happened again? After 20 centuries of the church being known essentially for two things, and I want to show these to you here, proclamation and compassion. Proclamation 
and compassion. Something happened. Because both of these things were together for, and I'm talking about in America here, because that's where we live, okay? And so proclamation, the Great Commission, go into all the world, preach and evangelize and share and tell this good news. And then compassion, which is just helping people that are in need and social concerns. And something happened, though, that writers and, and some scholars call the Great Reversal. And what happened here was a split, a bifurcation that that caused these two to be two distinct different things instead of running hand in hand together as what Christians and what the church would help to do. And they started to view this as sacred and view this as secular. And a number of things began to happen here that, that proclamation or sharing the word began to take on the major importance, which it is the major important thing, but at the neglect of compassion and taking care of those that would be in need. There was a new urgency on this and a neglect of of compassion. And just in brief, and this is an oversimplification, how did that happen? How did that happen? It started kind of as a response to something that American Christian leaders were seeing happen in Europe. And what was happening more and more in Europe, and I'm talking about roughly 100 years ago, is that theology was becoming very liberal. They, they started to, uh, all of God's word may not all be God's word, and Jesus may have just been a nice guy, and liberal theology began to happen, and following with it then was a social gospel where they were more concerned about social reform rather than faith. And doing it under the guise in the name of the church, but leaving out faith and leaving out the power of God. And so I think it's a right response that we would resist and respond that, no, we don't want this water down. Are y'all, are y'all with me? Yeah. But what it caused them to do then is to view then, well, if they're involved in things such as, and this word will smack wrong with some of you, but don't, don't miss the meaning of it, social justice. Begin to view that as some kind of left uh, liberal kind of thing, social justice. So this became sacred and this became secular and the split started to happen there. Interesting enough, about the same time, an overemphasis, everybody say overemphasis, an overemphasis began to happen on something. And let me go give you the big words on this dispensational eschatology. And I'll tell you what it was. It was this overemphasis. And let me just say this. All extremes lead to error. Get that. All extremes lead to error. And it was this overemphasis. How many of you know chocolate's good? But how many of you know too much chocolate? Not good. All right. Back to our program. This overemphasis on this. The urgent, imminent return of Jesus. And so they, they so viewed, and there were some leading teachers in that day and published on some things, Jesus is coming back, he's coming back, he's coming back. And so let me just, this was their thought. Well, if Jesus is coming Tuesday, then why are we going to take care of people's needs? All we need is to proclaim. And so further abandoned compassion, they got so vertical that they failed to be horizontal. And look at me. And still, though, you need to know that God still, God still cares deeply for the poor and the broken 
and the hurting and the disadvantage. God still cares deeply for them. Wait, 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 wait. And he's calling us to still care deeply as well. So we're calling for another great reversal. And to bring all this back together. This is what God wants. Not just that the church and Christians go around telling everybody what we know and telling everybody what they should do. But also there ne- we need to be the hands and feet and the voice of Jesus that we're actually going about. How are we going to change our world? How are we going to impact our world? Not with some big old master plan that we're going to do it, but it's you and I and sometimes us together that we just go active goodness and mercy and living the, out the heart of the kingdom of heaven just wherever we go. And you'll change the world around you. And that's what do unto others is all about because God still cares deeply and he's calling us to still care deeply. Now you can clap. Okay, now you can clap. Thank you. Thank you, lady. So I want another, remember our subtitle, what happened? I want something to happen in me and happen in you that you'll say of yourself, what happened? And that people around you, this is the best, that people around you go, what happened with you? Uh, what am I talking about? How many of you have seen um, The Grinch Who Stole Christmas? You ever, you ever seen that? Okay. Um, remember the day where his heart grew three times its size? Y'all, y'all remember? Does anybody have any idea what I'm talking about here? All right. It's the same people that know what FaceTime is. You know, so <laughs> let me just say some of y'all need to get out a little, a little more. Okay. So The Grinch, that day his heart grew three times you know, and that's what needs to happen is our heart. And he didn't know what was going on. In the more recent version, the movie version with, with uh, Jim Carrey, he, he, he says, he says, says, I'm leaking. <laughs> he, you know, he didn't know what was going on. He said, I feel toasty inside. You know, we, we should ever say, what's, what's happening with me? And the people around you should, what's happening with you? And let's explore this just a little bit. Let's look in First John here, chapter 3, First John. It says, for this is the message you've heard from the beginning. And from the beginning, I think, is back to incarnation when the Savior showed up. And here's what we've heard from the beginning. We should love one another. We should love one another. Let's go over to verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life. How many of you know that would be a pretty big deal to pass from death to life? Yeah. Well, for the rest of you, that would be like a pretty big deal. Yeah. Okay? Think about it. It's a metaphor, though, that we know that we pass from spiritual death to life. We, we pass from darkness to light, and we know that we've done that. This is how you know something's happened. This is how you'll know. Not that you get your name on your Bible. Not that you show up to church four times out of five. This is how you're going to know that something really has happened inside because you start to love people. You start to love people. Look, look in verse uh, 16. Jesus sets the supreme example for us. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ, the Savior, the solution, laid down his life for us. And we ought to, he cared, we ought to, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Look at this in verse 17. Don't miss this. But, everybody say but. But well, whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, watch this phrase, and shuts up his heart. 
from him, how does the love of God abide in him? Look at in the message paraphrase. If you see some brother or sister in need and have the means to do something about it, but turn a cold shoulder and do nothing, what happens to God's love? It disappears. And you made it disappear. Now, that phrase shuts up his heart. You see somebody in need, but you shut up your heart. In the Greek, it literally means to close the doors. It's to close the doors. And what he's saying is, if you see people in need, you see them in need, you're to keep your heart open. You're to keep your heart open. Now, let's go to Luke chapter 10 and look at the Good Samaritan real quick. Somebody asked Jesus some questions, and he replies, and he gives them this parable. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Do you know what the priest did? He closed his heart. He shut his heart. It says he saw him, though. But it's like this. He saw him. He said, I see you, but I don't see you. It's like some of y'all in the parking lot out here. You know, you're you're hoping somebody will let you out, you know. And and they're like, oh, I see you, but I don't see you. (laughs) Praise the Lord. (laughs) Ask probably first service people. It would never be you. (laughs) See these precious faces. But the priest is going, and what did he do? He shut his heart. And he kept going. So likewise, a Levite, a Levite was an assistant at the temple. Guys on staff at the church. And when he came to the place and he saw him too, he passed by on the other side. I see you, but I don't see you. And what did he do? He, He shut his heart. Watch this in verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, most common of the common, regular guy, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had what? He had compassion. Whose compassion? It's God's compassion. Remember, says, if you shut off your heart, where's the love of God? It's the love of God. It's not something you have to come up with. It's the love of God. You're like, what's going on in me? It's the love of God, and you keep the doors open. You keep your heart open. And when he saw him, he, he kept the doors open, and he had compassion. Go ahead. Next And he went to him and bound up his wounds, active goodness and mercy, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. He took care of him. Go ahead, verse 35. And on the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when when I come back. Active goodness and mercy using what he had here. Jesus then asked the guy who asked him the initial question, he said, which one of these three do you think proved to be neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers. Was it the priest? Was it the Levite? Or was it just the regular old guy? And go ahead to verse 37. He said, the one who showed him what? Mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Tell your neighbor real quick, you go and do likewise. Now tell another neighbor, your obvious second choice, tell them. You go. And do likewise. Or you know what we can do? Oh, I see you, but I don't see you. And we close our heart. You know, sometimes, and I love dogs and cats. I love animals and stuff. But there's some commercials on TV 
you know, the, the abuse dogs and cats and send money now. And that commercial goes on, I think, for like 40 minutes, you know. And it's a, I, just, I just can't. You know, I see you, but I can't see you. But we can't close up our hearts. And I'm not talking about the dogs right now. I'm talking, I'm talking about, about people. We just can't close up our hearts in this way. You go and do likewise. Now, let me, let me cut to this. Compassion feels the need. New Testament word for compassion means pity, sympathy, and it means this, to yearn from the bowels. That means I feel it in here. I don't like this. It's not comfortable. But can I tell you something? Jesus didn't call us to live a life that's a thrill a minute. He wants us to keep the love of God and keep the the doors of our heart open and compassion feels the need. Mercy, mercy fills the need. Remember the Samaritan came along and he saw him and he had compassion. He felt what was going on. What did the other guy do? They closed their heart and closed off the compassion so they didn't have to feel it. But God cares and he's calling us to care. And so compassion, you keep the doors of your heart open and you you feel what's going on with others. And then as you're able to, mercy fills the need. Now, let me say this to you. You're not always going to be able to show mercy. You're not always going to be able to meet every need. How many of you know that sometimes there'll be a need and it's like, I don't, I don't have anything. I don't have the ability. I don't have the resources. I don't have the time. I'm not in proximity. Or even this would happen. Don't you play with this either. Or you feel led not to. You know, a lot of people, well, I just feel led to do nothing. You know, you, you got lead poisoning, okay? <laughs> just a thought. But you can't always. You can't, you can't always fill the needs. But look at me, church. But we should always feel the need. My message to you, my challenge to you today is to keep your heart open. There are needs all around you. It's not your responsibility to save the world. You know, there'll be some things God just wants you to see. He wants you to feel. He wants you to have his, his heart. He may not call you. You may not even have what it takes to help somebody. But I think the people of God should always feel it. And that's my prayer. It's like, what happened to me? And again, it's not a thrill and a, a joy every minute of life, but it's, it's to feel what God feels and to have that on the inside. And then the great joy will come when God does allow you the resources, the ability, the contact, whatever it would be, so that you can also fill that need and show active goodness and mercy. How do you change the world around you? You just do unto others in this way. You just live this out the heart of the kingdom of heaven. And as you find needs, as you're going, and as God would lead you, and as God would empower you, you know, you help out in that way. And I'm telling you what, that is to do justice and love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Do unto others. Y'all get anything at all out of this today? All right. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Meadowbrook Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at MBC Ocala.